Hello and welcome to the AV Forums Podcast Extra for the 13th of June. The normal podcast will be back with you next week, uh, next Monday, the 20th of June. But in the meantime, Steve, we've got another interview. Our next guest is Stephen Ald from Dolby, who uh, is going to be talking about all things Dolby Vision. And Phil, we started off by you reminding him you'd actually met him and interviewed him about Dolby Vision uh, back at the Bristol show in 2008. Indeed, I remember it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wonder if you're going to mention this. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I, I remember um, vividly. I think it was the first demonstration of that technology in Europe, if I remember rightly. Um, and yeah, I had the, the honour of going down there and uh, and showing it off and, and chatting to uh, to a bunch of uh, folk in the, the AV press. So yeah, it was great. <laughs> so, so I mean, that was that was eight years ago. Um, mm. We're now at the stage now where Dolby Vision is a far better known uh, technology name. But exactly what is Dolby Vision? Yeah. So uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, in terms of our um, work in the field of imaging it has been going on for quite some time as, as you noted so you know bringing this the high dynamic range experience uh, to market something we've been working on for a number of years um dolby vision itself um th- this is a way that we deliver much more uh, dramatic imaging than has been possible before um you know with existing television um, technology um so specifically um we're able to deliver um, you know, much uh, brighter images with wider contrast. And not only that, we combine uh, this kind of high dynamic range technology with a uh, wide color gamut. So been able to um, provide much uh, a much wider color palette um, to the viewer than we've been able to before with, um, you know, much more saturated colors um, and much more uh, vividness in terms of the image. So overall, it's just a, a really sort of compelling, much more dramatic image that we're able to deliver um, with, with Dolby Vision. Um, utilizing high dynamic range and, and wide color gamut. So how come we can have this technology now mm. and not eight years ago when, when you were first touting it? I mean, why why is now the right time for this technology? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, much like with, with most of um, you know Dolby's approach to bringing technologies to market, um, we work completely through an entire content chain. Um, so as, as much as, you know, making sure that we're um, adapting the capabilities of the display technology, which is something that that has you know really come on leaps and bounds over those you know past few years. Um, we also need to, need to make sure that we're working right the way up, you know, the other end of the chain. So you know, working with um, camera manufacturers to make sure they can you know really capture these um, uh, wider color spaces and, and wider dynamics, um, and then you know through that flow as as this content then becomes. Uh, graded and mastered and coded and making sure there's a way to get it into the display you know so what does that mean in terms of uh, discs in terms of streaming in terms of broadcast um, so you know it's quite a, a complicated um, uh, content chain that you need to uh, work within and make sure that you're enabling with you know products and services and expertise and all the rest of it uh, to ultimately be able to deliver um, the, these uh, better images to um, uh, to people's televisions. When it comes to high dynamic range, um, along with Dolby Vision, there's also um, an open source version called HDR10. Mm. How does Dolby Vision differ from HDR10? Yeah, so uh, I mean, it, you can almost think of um, uh, Dolby Vision um, as having this uh, high dynamic range uh, technology at its heart. Um, and in fact, one of the things that you may have come across is um, the, the SMPTE uh, standard of, of PQ, um, so 2084, 
um, which is at the heart of, of both, you know, more generic HDR solutions as well as Dolby Vision. Um, now, one of the things that, that's very different in terms of our approach in, in, in bringing HDR technologies to market um, is uh, we've designed the entire Dolby Vision ecosystem to be much more future proof. Um, so I think if we look at generic HDR approaches today, um, there, there are a lot of limitations uh, in terms of you know how that can be evolved over time. So with our approach with Dolby Vision, we've made sure that um, we're able to make full use of a 12-bit a um, space for, for, uh, for the image uh, as opposed to 10 bits. Um, we also utilize a higher uh, capability in terms of the peak brightness. Um, so you may have heard uh, Dolby Vision supporting uh, up to a 10,000 uh, nit container. Um, which again is is something that that isn't uh, really capable with with other uh, more generic solutions out there, um, and yeah, one of the key differences, and, and I'm I'm sure we'll go into this a bit later, is around what we do with dynamic metadata. Um, so one of the the key differences um, is utilising this frame by frame and scene by scene data that describes a lot uh, what's going on in every pixel in every scene. Um, within a Dolby Vision encoded piece of content. Um, and that's really important because what that means is that we can utilize all of that information within the display, the Dolby Vision enabled display to deliver the best possible um, image depending on the, the optical characteristics of that display. Um, and all of this together really says that you know, we're able to deliver a, a, a more reliable, consistent um, uh, image on televisions today, but at the same time, building that pipeline so that it's you know, much more future proof for delivering you know, um, even more compelling um, uh, high dynamic range images into, into the future. Stephen, we've seen some pretty misleading um, articles out there on the internet, which is, you know, that happens on the internet from time to time. Uh -huh. These things do happen. But um, there's a lot of confusion and a, a lot of commentators saying there's going to be some kind of format war when it comes to HDR. Now, can we put this one to bed? Because that is not going to happen, is it? Because HDR10 and Dolby Vision, well, Dolby Vision is an option on top of HDR10, isn't it? So you're not really a rival. You're more of a, an add-on. Um, to that? Yeah, that is a really good question. I mean, from our side, I think um, there are a number of, of parts to look at in terms of um, the, the format itself of Dolby Vision. So if, if you look at, let's say, playback um, and you know a Dolby Vision-enabled display, we've made sure that Dolby Vision-enabled displays are able to uh, ingest and deliver the best possible quality of image of all different HDR uh, formats. Um, you know, partly that is because at the heart, like you mentioned, um, you know, Dolby Vision, um, you know, is based on this PQ, PQ standard um, and we're able to uh, ingest, um, you know, more generic HDR formats, whether that's, you know, stuff for streaming or, or uh, Ultra HD Blu-ray uh, and display that on uh, a Dolby Vision display. So we always make sure that um, a Dolby Vision capable display is, is able to handle all these different formats. Um, when we look at the, the, the content itself, or, or uh, in terms of the, the bitstream, if you like, that's, that's being sent into these displays, then you know, we, we've designed Dolby Vision to be very, very flexible, um, but with uh, compatibility at the heart. So we offer content distribution partners the ability to encode their content in a number of different ways, a number of different profiles, such that um, the Dolby Vision content 
is compatible, you know, both with existing SDR displays, existing H, you know, HDR displays, as well as Dolby Vision displays. So, you know, we, we've we've made sure that that Dolby Vision, from this, you know, sort of end-to-end -end perspective, um, is is compatible um, and will deliver, you know, the best possible quality of image, regardless of you know the, the flavor, if you like, of of high dynamic range that's that's coming into the display. But from a from a consumer perspective, the important thing is that, you know, investing in equipment, you know, having a Dolby Vision capable display and uh, that out there, out there now um, is something that, uh, you know, really is, is uh, uh, what would you say, um, a, a good sort of future proofing option to make sure that you're, you're able to um, ingest not just that Dolby Vision content, but other sort of more generic um, high dynamic range content or SDR for that matter. So just to put it to bed, there is no format war, is there? There's just uh, different flavours. Yeah, I, I would say there's no format war, no. Um, you know, I, I think we, we need to remember that um, in terms of Dolby Vision content or high dynamic range content, a lot of this is going to be about availability, not just of display technology and those displays, you know, that are capable of, of various flavours. Um, but we also uh, we also need to make sure that the content is there um, and what you know, Dolby have been doing, and, and you know, we've we've done this for umpteen years uh, in in audio as well, is working with content creators. So making sure that there's you know plenty of good quality content from you know major content creators uh, in Dolby Vision, um, you know, to be played back not just on legacy displays, but also you know making sure you're able to deliver that you know, much more compelling image uh, on a Dolby Vision display. Um, so no, I wouldn't say so. The, the other thing that, that is worth mentioning, because we didn't quite touch on this in terms of the, the the differences, if you like, between HDR or generic HDR and Dolby Vision, um, we uh, part of Dolby's IP um, relates to this PQ um, electro optic transfer function, um, and that's something that is actually, you know, what HDR10 is based on uh, in any case. So in a way, you know, that's. Um, uh, that maybe sort of helps to put to bed this concept of of, uh, of a format war. You, you mentioned Dolby enabled displays, and, and in reality, there aren't very many available yet in the UK. Um, so, what would actually happen if someone watches Dolby Vision content on uh, a display that uses HDR10? Yeah, so uh, I mean, certainly, uh, when we look at the UK, the, the Dolby Vision enabled displays are coming now, thankfully, um, with uh, our partnership with LG. So that, that was announced in January uh, at CES show, um, but they're now in stores and and uh, and starting to ship. So both the OLED uh, 4K displays and, and the Super UHD displays. Um, however, you know when it comes to um, uh, watching content and Dolby Vision content on a non-Dolby Vision display, again we've designed that that system such that. Um, you know, you're able to um, still watch the the, the content um, if it's been encoded in, in what we call this backwards compatible um, way. Then there's always at least um, an SDR version in the base layer of, of that uh, video bitstream that you can watch on on your uh, on your television. So we we make sure there's always something that you can watch. Um, but what we would say is that if you want to get the most out of that Dolby Vision content watch it on a, a Dolby Vision enabled display um, such as those that, that are you know coming to market in the UK from LG. But if you had um, you know an HDR capable display in other words a display that supports HDR 10 you would yeah. still get an HDR experience from Dolby Vision content. 
So it, it, it really does depend on how uh, the content creators are creating the content. Um, we, we do make it very flexible for them to um, uh, decide on what kind of uh, flavor um, of Bitstream they want to put together. So we do offer this, uh, what we call a backwards compatible mode, and there's different ways that you can contain this compatible base layer. So it could be compatible with SDR or HDR, it could be HD or Ultra HD. Um, so it's, it's a very sort of flexible approach and it really depends, you know, each use case or application is going to be different. Each content distributor is, is going to have a, a different approach to how they handle assets and, and uh, determine what flavor of stream to send to what device. But ultimately, yes, you know, we, we make sure that, that there's, um, you know, that compatibility is uh, part of this this proposition, um, and we make sure that it, it, there's always at least this SDR uh, base layer. But there are other profiles that can be used when you're encoding content. Stephen, another area that really with HDR confuses the end consumer and, and confuses a lot of our listeners as well is is the terminology of nets in mm. terms of in terms of brightness. Um, obviously, up until now, we've always used uh, Candelas meter squared, um, but it's it's virtually the same thing nets and, and that so we use that in our reviews but when it comes to peak nets there's lots of talk about 1000 nets 4000 nets 10,000 nets and your your uh, standard is 10,000 nets but we're struggling to get displays that reach 4000 at the minute so why have you specified 10,000 is is that to future proof the technology yeah that's exactly right um so you know what what you what you see is that display capabilities are evolving and evolving quite rapidly um you know you're right at the moment you know something like a 4000 nit display is, is pretty much um at the top of what's available uh, currently you know with the current technology um but we see you know improvements are always happening you know improvements in in the display technology i mean just going back to uh when we uh, when we met at the bristol hi-fi show in well, i think it was 2008 um you know the the, the um, technologies come on leaps and bounds um so you know we do want to make sure that we're we're able to eventually achieve that that full um 10,000 nit capability um, but ultimately, you know, our um, our approach and the approach that we we take with content creators is to make sure that when you're mastering content, you're mastering in the highest possible, um, you know, what we call color volume. So the color space plus, you know, the, the the brightness that you can achieve across all these colors, including up to the peak white. That you're you're mastering in as wide a color volume as you possibly can. Um, so, you know, make use of the maximum capabilities of displays today, um, but ultimately have that underlying uh, pipe or that container for the content that's, uh, that's capable of delivering, you know, um, uh, up to this 10,000 nit capability. It's interesting you mention that because looking at films that were made 30, 40 years ago, depending on which cameras they were shot on, they actually have the latitude available to be released in as HDR titles because the latitude existed at the time that those films were shot. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, what, what we've seen is that the capability to capture um, more of the image from, from cameras has actually existed for quite some time. And what's happened is that that reduction in the dynamic range capabilities or, or the color space is done later on. So, you know, when you're actually grading the content. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's, it's entirely feasible to go back to, uh, the original masters, you know, the film, uh, and do a regrade in Dolby vision. So, you know, rather than take that graded, you know, typically SDR grade, um, and then try and 
upscale it somehow, um, you can go back to the original master um, and you know rescan the film, do a do a new regrade, um, you know in Dolby Vision, um, and you know deliver a, a much better, um, richer version of that content um, than you know would have been uh, available on the original SDR grade. I guess the, before Steve comes in with the next question, I, I guess the following to that has to be though, will that be director approved? You know, you you are changing the content as it were. Yeah, that that is a good question. Um, I mean, to be honest, I I think that's probably more a question for the studios um, themselves. You know, my guess would be that there would be different approaches depending on on each studio in terms of you know what level of of approvals you know each. Um, each bit of content would require and, and you know, bringing in the, the original directors. I mean, fundamentally for us, everything about what we do for audio and imaging is about ensuring that that director's intent is reproduced faithfully uh, on the end device. Um, so although maybe technically it could be possible to do some of this stuff without that, you know, it's very much, you know, our approach to say, you know, make sure that the original intent of the director um, you know, when they're creating this piece of content uh, is is preserved throughout that content distribution chain um, for for, uh, for display. Um, so this is just about saying, you know, if you're going to be able to do a regrade of a film that was, you know, already shot, then, um, you know, how can we use this technology, Dolby Vision, and the, the, the wider dynamics and the wider color space to actually do a better job of achieving what that, that director was originally intending. But when it comes to you know the individual approvals. I imagine each studio will have uh, have their own uh, approaches there. In terms of the Dolby Vision content that's been created to date, what have you used in terms of peak nits and color space? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So you know we just talked about this before that you know the, the the idea of Dolby Vision as a format is having this you know real future proofing capability um, for the, for uh, for imaging. Um, so we we look at what the existing capabilities of displays are today. Um, again, every application is going to be slightly different. Um, we have, you know, Dolby Vision content now available in cinema through the Dolby Cinema proposition, uh, as well as on on uh, streaming services directly into into people's homes. Um, we have uh, our, our own um, professional uh, reference monitor and uh, a a 4K um, do, um, a 4K oh, sorry 4000 nit um, reference monitor. That we uh, that we use with you know various studios, um, so you know again the 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 approach here is master the content, grade the content in the widest possible color volume that you possibly can. So if you're able to use a 4000 nit display with say a DCI P3 color space, then do that. You know that that's that's great. Um, so you know ultimately what happens is that the wider volume that you master and grade in will then be mapped to the particular capabilities of the displays. You know, so if those displays are able to meet a certain percentage of P3 or, or Rec 2020, if they're not quite 4,000 nits, then you know, the, the, the Dolby Vision display mapping technology in the display will take this larger color volume that it's been mastered in and then map it according to the, uh, the capabilities of that display. But yeah, so, so you know something, uh, uh, you know, typically around four thousand nits and uh, the uh, P three color space is what we'd see today. But that's not necessarily how how th um, things will evolve. Your ultimate goal then is is what twelve bit, ten thousand nits, and rep twenty twenty. 
Pretty much, yeah. That that's you know that that's the uh, at the heart the capabilities that we're building into to uh, Dolby Vision. Um, so again, as as these ecosystems evolve, the display technology evolves, the reference monitor capabilities evolve, then uh, the the format is there, sort of ready to to deliver. You know, um, to deliver that. I guess another thing that confuses people when it comes to nets and, and brightness, and I think we need to get this explained as, as best as possible, what we're talking <laughs> about is not the whole screen being 4,000 or 10,000 nets in brightness. Mm-hmm. All we're talking about is specular highlights and highlights to to the, to the various areas of the, of the image and very small areas of the image. Exactly right, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that there can be some misconceptions that, you know, high dynamic range is, is all about, you know, blinding brightness and, uh, you know, that, that, that simply isn't the case. Um, you know, having that ability to, yes, deliver brighter images, that is true. Um, this is something that, that um, is used to great effect in pulling out highlights from an image. You know, and typically those highlights will only be in, you know, a certain percentage of the screen at any one time. Um, and you know that that really gives that um, that realistic sense of you know looking well, looking at nature really. Um, so you know when you have reflections in water or you know reflections off um, you know say metallic surfaces or you know something like this, you're just getting a, a much more realistic image. But the the other you know uh, angle to that. So yes, um, being able to deliver brighter whites and brighter colors is, is definitely part of that experience. But, you know, the other thing is, is being able to pull out details in the dark. So, you know, this whole um, wide dynamic range that we, that we can offer in this wider contrast ratio is also about delivering a more realistic, uh, better quality um, reproduction of details that reside in the darker parts of the image, you know, and at the same time has been able to show these, these um, you know, brighter highlights, you know, the specular detail in, in the image. Um, so, yes, that, that is a, a very valid point. You know, a lot of this is trying to capture a more realistic, much more detailed image, um, you know, rather than just um, super, super bright images. You mentioned earlier, Stephen, that Dolby Vision is an end-to-end solution. Can you just explain this end-to-end process in a bit more detail? Yeah, so um, as you might imagine, you know, with uh, Dolby's approach, we really want to make sure that we're able to deliver what the content creator intended. You know, that, that's, that's you know, something that we bring to, to all of um, our uh, technologies and, and formats that, that we bring to market. And really, we can only do that if we work right at the beginning. So when that content is being created, that, that's that's the first step. You know, we need to know, okay, what are you trying to achieve with this, this content, both sonically and also with the image? Um, so w- when we're talking about this end-to-end approach, we really need to make sure that we understand um, the, the kind of tools and, and the workflows that content creators are, are using so that, um, you know, when it comes to carrying that intent and displaying it on consumer equipment or, or in, in the cinema uh, even, that um, we're doing that faithfully and doing it um, consistently. So, you know, that starts with working with, um, uh, as, as we sort of alluded to earlier, camera uh, manufacturers. Um, so ultimately, the, you know, you have to acquire the image uh, somehow through the camera. Um, and, you know, we've done an awful lot of work with, with camera manufacturers to make sure that they're able to uh, capture the best possible quality image. Um, and that's able to be, um, uh, utilized within this Dolby Vision um, high dynamic range and, and wide color uh, space. Um, as well as that, we need to make sure that there are displays. You know, so um, you, you, 
we sort of talked about this earlier, you, you may be familiar with our professional reference monitors. Um, you know, these are tools that we we build uh, to enable content creators to actually look at the content um, and, you know, uh, make these creative decisions about how they want each scene to look um, before that's then ultimately uh, uh, graded and, and encoded and played back. Um, so we have to work within these workflows for, um, you know, both grading and, and, and mastering content. And as much as there are certain things we do ourselves there, a lot of it is working with uh, partners. So, um, you know, uh, companies that were already there in the industry that provide all of these tools to the content creators, the, the production, post-production uh, communities um, to make sure that they're enabled and can handle um, the Dolby Vision uh, content. Um, and then as we sort of work, work our way through that chain, um, we work with video encoder manufacturers to make sure that the video can be encoded in Dolby Vision, that nothing is lost, that all of this nice dynamic metadata is able to be embedded within the, the video bitstream. Um, and then ultimately through content distribution partners, um, again, whether that's cinema distributors or uh, over the top um, services or broadcasters or, or Blu-ray, um, you know, to make sure that their distribution pipelines are able to carry these video bitstreams properly um, and then all the way into playback. So again, whether that's uh, a source product or the display itself, making sure that um, they're able to take that content, uh, decode it and reproduce it uh, faithfully. Um, so it's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of parts to this, um, but, uh, you know, ultimately that's why we, we, we like to think, you know, of Dolby Vision as being this end-to-end -end, uh, approach. It, it's really, you know, the best way to ensure that you, you carry that, that intent when the content is being created right the way through to when it's being played back. And you can only do that, you know, properly and, and reliably if you're, uh, if you're working all the way throughout that, that, uh, that process. So how does um, Dolby Vision vary from the theatrical uh, experience to the experience in the home? Because just thinking about this logically, um, projectors are much harder to get brightness out of than a, a flat panel. So could it be the case that in the home you're actually getting a, a better experience than you are in the theatre? That's yeah, a good question. I mean, obviously, when when we look at um, you know cinema reproduction and the cinema environment, it is different. You know, there are there are different considerations when we look at um, the, the cinema space. So you know, uh, bigger screens tends to be a you know very dark space. Um, the brightness and the contrast that that we can achieve, or certainly the brightness in cinema, is very different when you look at the capabilities of. Um, you know some modern uh, television displays, but ultimately, you know what what we what we want to do is to be able to deliver a more dynamic image. Um, so it's not all about you know as we discussed before, it's not all about the peak brightness. It's also you know how you maintain and get you know really nice detail in in the dark parts of the image, um, and also in terms of color. You know so you know that's something that that. Um, that, that we find is, you know, people really notice this much uh, wider color uh, reproduction that we're able to deliver, not not only in in the cinema um, through the, the Dolby Cinema um, proposition, but also with Dolby Vision in, in the consumer displays. Um, and what that means in terms of being able to deliver a more vivid, more realistic um, uh, type of image. Um, so I, I think, you know, what we're what we're doing there is is you know, making sure that we're able to deliver what we would say is the best possible image for both uh, types of applications both types of environment um, and you know the approaches to do that you know mainly because the, 
the type of playback technology in the environment is slightly different, then yes, we have to have a, a slightly different approach in terms of the uh, the technical um, delivery uh, of that in, in, in these different environments. But the end goal is the same. You know, we want to make sure that you're you're, you're getting this you know much more dramatic um, I- I image than uh, than you're used to, with you know much more vivid colours, a brighter, more dynamic image. Um, you know, so the, the end the end goal is the same. But yes, there are these sort of um, slight differences in in terms of uh, how that's technically delivered. Now, in the past, it's always been that cinema, even 35mm cinema, the, the experience at the cinema was different to what you got at home because we lived in an 8-bit world where we used Rec 709 as, as our colour space when it came to HD video and so on, and that never matched what you would see at the cinema. But I guess what we're saying now is that the end experience, what you see at home should be the same as what you see at the theatre if you're using the same standards and, and roughly the same workflow. Exactly right. Um, you know, there's no reason for it to be different. Um, you know, the the only I would say caveat to that is from a director's intent. So again, if for one reason or another the director wanted something to be different, well, that's a creative decision that you know the the, the technology would allow. Um, but certainly from a technology perspective, there's no reason why that should be different. You know, we want to make sure that that the overall experience is the same, that the that the intent is carried through. Um, you know, and it's one of the, the key reasons or, or one of the key benefits, I think, of Dolby Vision versus, you know, more generic approaches to this this kind of technology um, that we're able to, to really ensure that 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 um, uh, that that's done reliably and, and consistently, um, you know, time after time and on, on different types of display. You mentioned earlier that one of the key differences between Dolby Vision and generic HDR is the fact that Dolby Vision uses dynamic metadata. Mm. Um, can you just explain exactly how dynamic metadata works compared to static metadata? Yeah, yeah. So with the dynamic metadata approach, um, what you realize is that when we look at the the display capabilities um, today and, and in the future, there's a wide range of, uh, of capabilities, you know, so we've moved out of this Rec 709 kind of 100 nit world uh, into something a lot more complicated with a lot of uh, different approaches to being able to deliver a high dynamic range. Um, so, you know, different, uh, I, I would use the term color volume. It's something we've not really gone into a lot of detail here, but, you know, to, to think about this in terms of the overall capabilities of a display um, in terms of uh, how many colors it can show and across what uh, levels of brightness these colors can be can be rendered on, on the display um, so you could think of the brightness as being the kind of vertical um, part of, of a, a color space diagram so if we think about this in uh, as a color volume then the color volumes of the displays are incredibly variable so what we can do is with this dynamic metadata is you know on on a scene by scene basis we can understand when this content is graded and, and encoded we know exactly what's going on in that scene we know the values of each pixel in terms of its its color its brightness we can uh, then use all of that information to map pixel by pixel what's what was intended in terms of the original image to the capabilities of that display. So that means that we're able to much more faithfully, uh, you know, scene by scene, reproduce um, the correct color, for example, which is important when you're looking at things like skin tones. So if you want to maintain, um, you know, proper uh, tone in, in, in terms of skin, then, you know, we need to make sure that we're mapping the original content to 
the specific capabilities of, of the display because you know colors look different depending on on you know the, the peak uh, brightness capabilities of, of the display so we need to be very careful now with a generic HDR approach with static metadata you can capture certain information about the entire piece of content um, but if if um, that content is changing especially if it's changing quite dramatically um, on a scene by scene basis then you're having to make compromises in terms of you know how you play that back on on the display so you know with a dynamic metadata approach we're um, we're not having to make those compromises we're able to you know specifically tune how that content is being played back because we know exactly what's happening in that scene at any one time and we know the the, the characteristics of uh, the display itself. Um, so ultimately, what this means is that we're able to deliver, you know, a uh, a really, you know, a great high dynamic range image on a wide range of of um, televisions with, you know, varying um, color volume capabilities. In terms of delivering the content to display, how does intelligent display mapping, the intelligent display mapping engine work on a Dolby Vision um, enabled display? Yeah, so uh, within a Dolby Vision enabled display, we, we work with the, the manufacturer themselves. Um, and what we're doing is we're, we're taking this uh, display mapping technology that's part of the Dolby Vision playback uh, solution. Um, and we're tuning it for each model of display. So we want to know things like, you know, exactly what color space does this operate in? You know, what are the maximum uh, brightness or peak brightness that we're able to deliver with this display? What's the size of the display? Um, what are the optical characteristics? You know, is it uh, is it an OLED? Is it uh, locally dimmed uh, backlight? Is it globally dimmed backlight? If it's locally, how many you know, clusters are there. All this kind of information um, is used by the Dolby Vision, you know, display mapping technology to properly map the incoming um, uh, content to the capabilities of that display. So you can really think about it as a highly optimized, uh, tuned mapping um, uh, process that is taking all of the imaging content and all the metadata that's within that um, and tailoring it to the specific um, um, imaging capabilities of that uh, particular display. Now, when you're discussing all that, it sounds absolutely fantastic because um, basically Dolby Vision uh, should be able to set each and every TV correctly to display the image correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so does that make calibrators redundant? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, certainly when we we work with the display manufacturers, um, you know, because we're at a very deep level um, in terms of the integration of the Dolby Vision technology, then we do make it as as easy as possible for the end user to um, get the best quality of image um, on that display without necessarily having to go through and do a, a huge amount of of, uh, of tuning. Um, that said, you know, we do work with a number of uh, professional partners. Um, you know, there's a, a number of reasons why you, why you might want to, um, you know, play around with calibrations and things like that. Maybe you're a professional reviewer. You want to, you know, actually measure the, the, the screen's performance to make sure that everything is correct. Um, you know, also when you're grading, you want to make sure that you're grading in, in, the, um, in the, the, the correct way and that the, the monitor is performing as, as you uh, would expect. Um, so it's not necessarily that, that 
calibration and, and measurement of display performance is out of the window. But you know, when you look at a, a, a sort of generic um, consumer playback perspective, then yes, you know, this uh, coupling of, of this rich data that's coming in the content plus the, the the Dolby Vision decoding and mapping that's that's tuned for the the display itself, um, it does make it a lot uh, a lot simpler to. Um, uh, to get a, a good quality uh, uh, image playback. So, saying all that, is there a mm. is there a dedicated calibration workflow which you have put together for Dolby Vision sets? So that is a very good question. I, I would probably need to um, I probably need to double check when it comes to consumer display. So, obviously, when we're looking at uh, the content creation workflow. So when you're using a, a, a professional uh, reference monitor for creating it, then yes, we, we do have uh, guidelines and we work with um, you know a number of partners to um, to deliver tools basically that allow you to, to make sure that everything is working correctly and calibrated correctly from the professional reference monitor. But I'd, I'd need to uh, double check on on the uh, you know any specific kind of tools or um, any solutions from a consumer perspective. So you've already mentioned that LG are supporting Dolby Vision on the, mm. on some of their displays in the UK. I guess the next question then becomes content. So where can people find Dolby Vision content? Yeah, that is a great question. So yeah, the display um, side of things is looking very strong. Um, so um, you mentioned LG there. So LG is is a global partner. So you know we're very excited that LG for their OLED and Super UHD models um, uh, globally will be supporting Dolby Vision. So that's that's very exciting. Um, it is worth noting that um, uh, there are uh, other solutions. So we also work with TCL and Skyworth. Um, and in fact, in the US, um, manufacturer called Vizio. Um, includes Dolby Vision not only in their reference series, which was their launch um, vehicle for Dolby Vision, but also in their P and now their M series. Um, so you know we're seeing a, a, a strong uptake in terms of the um, the availability of, of playback devices, but um, LG certainly being an important partner for us in, in the UK. Um, when it comes to content, so uh, I think it was almost almost exactly a year ago now, um, the first Dolby Vision content became available for the cinema, um, so specifically for playback in Dolby cinemas. Um, so you can you can watch a, a number of titles. Um, started off with Tomorrowland. Um, and you know we now have other titles at the Revenant, um, Star, uh, Star Wars: Force Awakens, uh, Deadpool, more recently Jungle Book. Um, so you know they can all be enjoyed in, in Dolby cinemas, um, of which uh, we now have there's four in Europe uh, and more coming. There's 23 worldwide. Um, if you want to get Dolby Vision in the home, um, then the the first way of doing that is through OTT partners so actually streaming over the internet into your Dolby Vision enabled display um, so uh, Voodoo is a, is a partner who are out there in the US right now um, but more recently and again uh, coupling our, our approach to, to bring this experience more globally um, is Netflix um, so Netflix are actually streaming now um, you can uh, access Marco Polo um, in Dolby Vision on uh, Netflix so if you have uh, a Dolby Vision enabled LG display and Netflix, then you can start watching it now. Um, what was uh, very exciting just, uh, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Netflix announced that they will actually be investing quite heavily in, in the production and, and distribution of Dolby Vision content um, 
and they've said they'll be offering um, 150 hours of Dolby Vision content by the end of, of this year, um, which is which is great news. So, um, uh, and yes, as well as that, we're obviously working with other uh, OTT partners to to you know um, to bring Dolby Vision content um, over different platforms. Uh, and then something that we, we haven't quite touched on is obviously on, on uh, ultra high definition Blu-ray. So Dolby Vision is included as a, a, an optional format for that um, for ultra HD Blu-ray. Um, we would expect the first players to be coming probably early next year, and then uh, Dolby Vision enabled titles um, on that format a, a, around the same time. One one of the main questions we get asked a lot is, uh, you know. Dolby Vision, it's only on LG and none of the players have it at the minute. So how viable a format is it? So at the moment, with only one manufacturer in the UK and only over-the-top streaming on, on Netflix, um, your marketplace at the minute seems to be quite limited. So where can we expect things to go from here? So I, I think that the important uh, element here is that although the technology, if you like, has has been um, you know really under a lot of development for a number of years, uh, in terms of bringing this to market, it's still relatively new. Um, so you know LG announced their their sort of global uh, adoption of of Dolby Vision uh, only in January at CES. Um, so you know it, it's still relatively early days, but I think you know the fact that they've adopted it, you know, across you know a whole range of of their OLED and Super UHD televisions. It's not just a a niche um, kind of solution. Sets a very good tone, um, and also you know I mentioned a few of the other manufacturers. You know, this certainly isn't just some kind of uh, an exclusive thing. Um, so. You know, I, I think in terms of the display technology, it is quite early days, but you know, we're really excited that, that LG have adopted this broadly, and you know, these are now starting to uh, you know to ship. Um, as with a lot of these things, you know, the content is incredibly important. Um, so we've already seen you know some really really key uh, major titles become available for the cinema, um, but as well as that, we have commitments from you know a huge number of studios, so from uh, MGM, Warner Brothers, Sony, uh, Universal, um, to bring Dolby Vision content to uh, to the home as well. Um, so that's really important for us. You know we need to have that strong content pipeline. Um, so you know with the Hollywood majors producing content not just for cinema but for home distribution. Um, and with streaming platforms like Netflix um, globally and Voodoo in the US, then you know it's giving another sort of pipeline for uh, for that content. And not only that, um, when we look at Netflix uh, as an example, that uh, original content is is now being produced in uh, in Dolby Vision. So that's you know again we need to make sure that that uh, content um, pipeline is strong. And, and I think it you know it is uh, it is very compelling and it's growing, but. You know, the overall thing is, yes, it is still quite early days for um, for this type of technology. Um, but, you know, the uptake that we're seeing and the the kind of enthusiasm and excitement from the industry to, to get working on this now is, uh, you know, is, is very compelling. So I think it's, it, you know, it's positioned well to uh, to deliver this sort of experience in the future. Uh, LG are primarily offering Dolby Vision on their on their new OLED range. Mm -hmm. In terms of um, OLED, can an OLED TV really deliver the full Dolby Vision experience given its limited brightness capabilities? Yeah, so, you know, obviously when we look at the, the 
optics so you know the, the actual way that the image is is presented to the the, the user um, there are different approaches and they, they have different uh, techniques and different capabilities you know something that um, is very important from delivering the Dolby vision experience is um, you know not not just to think of high dynamic range in terms of brightness or just peak brightness but also the contrast you know so you know at any one time when you're watching an image uh, you want to be able to deliver um, you know, a very sort of compelling dynamic image, but not just in the, the brights, also in the darker parts. Um, you know, and what you find, for example, with, with something like OLED is, you know, you can get some, you know, really nice uh, highlights, very nice sort of bright images, but also some really, really um, great detail in the darker parts of the image and also the ability to to reproduce color, especially uh, in combination with darker parts of the image is, is, uh, is really pretty spectacular. So I think, you know, it, it, regardless of um, the specifics of the display uh, or the optics of each display, um, you know, with the Dolby Vision uh, uh, decoder and the the the, uh, the mapping engine that we include within that, um, you know, we're able to deliver a, a very very compelling and dramatic image. You know, regardless of whether it happens to be you know, OLED or um, uh, Super UHD, um, it really uh, you know it really shouldn't matter that much. You mentioned um, right at the beginning that Dolby Vision uses 12-bit. Uh, does that mean a Dolby Vision-enabled display is a 12-bit panel? No, it, it doesn't have to. Um, so, you know, the, the way that we've built it, a little bit like with the color space and the nits, is we want to make sure that it's capable of. So, yes, at the heart of Dolby Vision content is this 12-bit capability, um, but we always want to make sure that regardless of the space that was used and the resolution that is used when the content is mastered, that it's mapped carefully um, and faithfully to the, the capabilities of, uh, or, or the, sorry, the intent um, of the content, but based on understanding the exact capabilities of the display. Just to wrap things up, Stephen, um, you did mention Ultra HD Blu-ray. Um, mm. That seems to be going forward anyway in terms of quality and i know dolby's all about quality it, it's the highest quality platform that we're going to have for hdr and 4k so what are your plans and where do you hope dolby vision will go with that format yeah so you know for us it, it's great you know to have um the capability of of um of showing dolby vision content on ultra hd blu-rays um you know it is as you mentioned it is still quite early days in terms of that format um you know we uh, we have been working with with a number of partners and you know we do see a lot of excitement and you know people are uh, sort of chomping at the bit really to to try and get content out there in, in Dolby Vision and including on on Ultra HD Blu-ray um so in terms of what's needed for that there's a few pieces that you need to put together to to bring that um so obviously the players and um we do expect the first players to be sort of later this year early next year um so that's the first thing um, we also need to make sure that the content workflows for Ultra HD Blu-ray are enabled. Um, and uh, just recently, uh, Scenarist uh, announced that they would be supporting Dolby Vision for uh, Ultra HD Blu-ray encoding. So that's obviously an important, uh, uh, important piece of that pie in terms of being able to bring Dolby Vision experience to to Ultra HD Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know, from a technical perspective, it's there. Um, you know, we, we are expecting the first players to become available um, uh, as we go into next year. Um, and also the, the content pipeline is now um, uh, enabled with these kind of encoding tools for Ultra HD Blu-ray. Stephen, thank you very much for your time today. It's, uh, it's been a fascinating chat.
Wonderful. No, thanks very much. Yeah, it's uh, a pleasure. So our thanks to Stephen Old from Dolby uh, answering all the questions on Dolby Vision. I think we uh, we managed to cover quite a bit of the subject matter there, Steve. And uh, obviously, if anybody has any questions, you can uh, ask your questions in the podcast forum underneath this podcast and we'll put them to Dolby. Um, so what happens next week, Steve? Next week, it's business as usual with the team all back for our usual selection of news, reviews and general nonsense. And I, I, I might even have a tan, but nobody will be able to tell. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it seems so- unlikely considering where you're going. <laughs> uh, so don't forget, join us next week. That's Monday the 20th of June for the normal podcast as we come back following our summer holidays. Until then, we'll see you soon.